Have you ever felt like you've got decisions to make and it's really not a clear decision and it seems to be draining everything out of you or barriers keep kind of popping up everywhere? Have you ever woken up one morning and thought, man, I've just got no energy for whatever this day brings, no matter, you don't know what it's going to bring, right? Whether it's good, bad, indifferent, apathetic, anything like that. It's one of those things where there are times where we feel like the energy is absolutely being drained out of us. And so how do we get some? How do we get inspired to get up in our day, to get out there, to be like ready for whatever it is? How do we get some energy in our decision making that really brings life, that brings us to a point of thriving? So for today, as we dig into this, like, okay, what decision-making, how can I begin to make decisions that really give new energy to the way that I am living and being every single day? We are going to look at Matthew chapter 9 at Jesus. Because Jesus, last week we talked about cultivating a healthy mindset. The week before we talked about what it means to be an influencer, a, a good influence, because we all influence in some way, so why not make it good? And this week, carrying on with those different things of adding up, of going, all right, Jesus, you face some really difficult things. He has to face some challenges. He's got to face some haters, like people who don't like that he does good stuff. He's got to face all of that. And so how does he do it? How does he keep that focus? How does he make those decisions even when the circumstances aren't what he wants, when the circumstances are difficult? When the situations, it's like, ooh, what decision? Which way are you going to go? When people are trying to trap him, even, what about how he navigates those moments and how people respond to him in different ways? What about these situations can give us a way of thinking, all right, how can I make decisions that energize and inspire not just myself, but everyone around. So beginning in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 2. Boarding a boat, Jesus crossed to the other side of the lake and went to his own city. People brought to him a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man who was paralyzed, Be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. All right, so Jesus gets on a boat, he's going home. He's going off to Capernaum. He had moved to Capernaum from Nazareth in Matthew chapter 4. That's the city where he meets Peter, where he meets the other apostles. He starts to meet them, and he starts to carry this message. He starts to preach and teach and, and heal and be present. And so he is coming home. And we can imagine the complexity of that, right? Home we think of maybe as a place to rest but also it's a place where people know you. And here people know Jesus. People are like, yeah, we know him. So they're going to bring those who are hurting that need him. 
But also there are the others who are like, yeah, I know this guy. He's not that special. Like, he's my neighbor. He still takes out the trash just like I do. Home can be a complex situation. And that's where he's headed. He is headed home. And as he gets there, some people have gathered and have brought this man to him. And to think about even that of being like, wow, we see this guy has a need and we're willing to help. So these people come to Jesus, say, look, we, we want to help. And Jesus responds here. You know, Jesus is so good about going, what, what is the issue? What do we need to see in this moment? Not just always the surface level, but deep down. And he begins to talk to the man. And he says, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Jesus offers encouragement first. That's his response. As he is taking in the situation, as he sees these people gathered, as he sees the state of this man, that's the first thing he says is be encouraged. And secondly, your sins are forgiven. The things you need to let go of, you need some mercy in your life, and I am going to give it to you. And so for ourselves, of thinking about that, of going, wow, how can we be that encouragement that when we're making a decision, when we're like needing some energy in my life, that it's not just about us receiving the encouragement, but how am I going to encourage today? Where am I going to encourage? Who am I going to encourage? Even when maybe we don't necessarily feel like it. Maybe we just want to go home and get in bed. And yet, Jesus is showing us something here important about paying close attention to those around us and being that encouragement first. But not everybody's going to be happy with them. In fact, there's a little bit more to this story with the man. Verses 3 through 8, some legal experts said among themselves, this man is insulting God. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, why do you fill your minds with such evil things? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take your cot, and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw what had happened, they were afraid and praised God who had given such authority to human beings. All right, so the legal experts, they're like, you know, let's just be negative, right? Let's look for the problem in this situation, not for what has been encouraged, what good has come, but instead they are like, they're going to come at Jesus, and he's like, why do you think such evil things? Why do you hold on to that stuff? Why do you burden yourself with criticizing? Why do you burden yourself with what's wrong with the situation instead of what is right? And that right there, right? We've probably gotten into that form when something happens and we don't understand it. We're like, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Or what right do they have? How often in our decision-making do we get caught up when we don't understand something? We automatically move into a more negative state, a more like what the problem is instead of what good is there. 
And then Jesus follows it up, right? Even that question of why. He's trying to get them to think why. And that question of why, why are you thinking that way? Right? And for ourselves, like when we get into that mindset, when we find ourselves reacting, when we find ourselves making decisions that feel just heavy and burdensome and we don't feel good about the way things are going, we should probably stop and ask ourselves why, which is what Jesus does. First, he goes, why are, why are you holding on to that? Why is that an issue for you? And then he follows it up with, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now, on the surface, we may want to get into a debate. Well, which one is? Well, it depends upon the context. It depends upon the situation. It depends upon, right, as to how we would answer that. But that is not the point of the question. The point of that question is to go, hey, if we can respond to all of those things, why wouldn't we? He's trying to get him to think, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, that one could be harder. That could be harder. But instead, he's going, no, 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 you guys. If you can respond to someone, if you can encourage someone, if you can offer some forgiveness and mercy to someone, if you can offer healing with, with whatever it is that ails them, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take that gift ability that God has given you to help, to empower, to encourage, to heal to show forgiveness and mercy to others. That whatever the need is, God has given us the ability to respond in unique and different ways, and we are to respond. So here Jesus is like, the whole decision of what are you going to do and what are you going to talk about and what's going to bother you? Instead, really, we need to be focused on, well, how can I respond? How can I be an encouragement? How can I bring something good out of this situation? How can I be that healing presence? How can I begin to think about what would Jesus do in these situations? How would Jesus be present with others? How would Jesus listen instead of, this is not what I wanted this is uncomfortable. I don't understand. So Jesus is giving them a different way of thinking about what they have observed in front of them. Continuing on in verses 9 through 13. As Jesus continued on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a kiosk for collecting taxes. He said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus sat down to eat in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners joined. Jesus and his disciples at the table. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. Go and learn what this means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. All right, so we got to know something a little bit about the ancient world and tax collectors. Tax collectors, everybody hated tax collectors, and we might be like, eh, I can understand that aspect. But here's the other thing. The tax collectors of that day were seen as being pawns of the Roman Empire because what would happen is Rome would say to the tax collector, hey, you're supposed to collect this amount from the people in taxes. And the tax collectors would go, okay, I think I'll charge more. 
And so they would lie, cheat, and steal from the people. So they would take what Rome required and then take more. So they were wealthy, comfortable, lying, cheating schemers of the day. And they were considered unclean by the Jews. So they weren't allowed near the temple because of the work that they did. So this, the community, the society would say, we want no part of you and push them out in a way. And here Jesus shows up and says, follow me. And this tax collector, this tax collector is so taken by that, that Jesus ends up at his house eating with tax collectors and sinners. Like, Jesus is like, nope, I need to talk to everybody. What I have is for everyone. My way of living, my way of following God is all-inclusive. You want to follow me? And I can only imagine Matthew is witnessing this moment between Jesus and the Pharisees, where the Pharisees are like, how dare you? They are going to be critical. They are going to be judgmental. They're going to be angry. They're just going to be jerks about this, right? Haters are going to hate. That it doesn't matter that Jesus is like, wait a minute, hey, tax collectors, you can be part of the community too. There's another way of living and being. And the Pharisees are like, don't associate with them. And so here... Matthew gets to witness, gets to pay attention to how Jesus responds to the criticism and judgment of, G of, of what Jesus is doing. And then he gets to watch Jesus' response. He gets to listen to how Jesus responds. And Jesus doesn't respond with the same animosity towards the Pharisees. Instead, he responds with some curiosity-inducing questions. He, he kind of is trying to get them to question, hey, Pharisees, why are you holding on to? Why do you see this situation from that perspective? Get a little curious. Matthew got curious and invited him home to eat dinner with him. Why don't you get curious? And this is what he wants them to get curious about. Go and learn what it means. I want mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is like, you know, in our responses, in the way that we make decisions, in the way that we go about interacting with one another, what if we begin with mercy first? What does that begin to look like mean? How does that begin to change? How does that begin to counter criticism and judgment if we start with mercy? Think about that for ourselves. That when we're trying to make a decision, when we're trying to figure out the way forward, when we're trying to get a little bit more energy in our life, what would it mean to wake up and not just be like, how can I be an encouragement today, but how can I offer mercy to others? How can I begin to take a pause when I begin to fall into those decision-making, those things that I want to say that are so critical and judgmental of others? And what if I hit pause and be like, where's the mercy that's needed in this situation? Jesus is trying to get them to be curious, just as Matthew was curious. And what's interesting is Matthew, the tax collector, church tradition is going to make him the author of Matthew. It's why it's called the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. What's interesting is we don't actually know who wrote Matthew. 
It was probably a Jew who knew Greek, who understood the customs of Judaism very well, who understood that the narrative was part of the Jewish culture, and he was able to write in Greek. But even to have that story, that this story becomes so powerful, so inspirational to others, of going, wait a minute, even that person can become a follower. Even that person can say, you know what? I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to be cheating people, lying to people. I got to get out of this comfort zone of whatever is good for me, then I don't really care about anybody else. And the tax collector gets curious. And so we are to get curious and be inspired by that as well. And so for us, when we're making decisions, are we getting curious? And are we being inspired to figure out mercy? To figure out mercy as we are responding to the world around us. Continuing on in verses 14 through 15. At that time, John's disciples came and asked Jesus, Why do we and the Pharisees frequently fast? But your disciples never fast. Jesus responded, the wedding guests can't mourn while the groom is still with them, can they? But the days will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. All right, so here, here Jesus, it's like, it, it's the third story, right? There was the healing from the first, there's the tax collector, and now we get John's disciples. And this is referring to John the Baptist's disciples, John the Baptist will later be beheaded by Herod in chapter 14 of Matthew. But here, John is still alive. He's still got followers. And they show up, and it sounds like they're actually kind of curious, less judgmental than the Pharisees. But they ask, they're like, okay, why are we fasting? And that was part of John's followers. Why are we fasting? Why do the Pharisees fast? And why aren't your disciples fasting? And here, Jesus answers them in a kind of interesting way. He, he talks about it in terms of wedding guests, of feast. He's talking about it in terms of celebration. He's saying, you know, right now we are in a celebration period. There's going to be a time for fasting, but there's also a time for celebration. There's a time to recognize the abundance of God's presence in our lives. There's a time where we should not be going, oh, all we can see is the scarcity. All we can see is the negative. All we can do is react to negative with negative. Instead, Jesus is like, where's the celebration? Pay attention to the celebration. And so when we're trying to make decisions, how often are we making decisions of noticing, of paying attention, of lifting up celebration? So often, right, we wait for others or we wait for milestones to celebrate. And we've talked about that in the past, that every day we should be celebrating something in some way. We should be looking for that inspiration. We should be uplifting that beauty in the world. We need to be looking and paying attention to the celebration and the ways that we can celebrate, the ways that we can lift those up. Because if we're looking for some energy in our lives and we're looking for that new energy in our decision making, we've got to be paying attention to how we are celebrating every single day God's presence with us. And when we begin to take that perspective, 
It feels a little more lively, right? It feels a little more energizing. It doesn't feel so heavy and burdensome. When we come from a place of how can we celebrate today instead of how is the world falling apart? What are the things that are painful? Yeah, we've got to acknowledge the pain of this world. Absolutely. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge where we can celebrate. Finishing up in verses 16 through 17. No one sews a piece of new, unshrunk cloth on old clothes because the patch tears away the cloth and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If they did, the wineskins would burst, the wine would spill, and the wineskins would be ruined. Instead, people pour new wine into new wineskins so that both are kept safe. All right, so first he hits on, with John's disciples, the whole thing about taking stock of, you know, there's a time to celebrate, and you need to make sure you're still celebrating in this world. Yes, there is a time for fasting, but there is a time for celebration, and there is a time of celebration every day that God's presence is with us. And here, here Jesus is getting them to think about practices, old practices like fasting, that maybe they do, and they don't know why, they've just always done it that way. And here's the thing about that. When we begin to just do things out of comfort, when we have practices that are, they're just comfortable, they're every day, but we don't know why we do them. We don't know how they're connected anymore to God. We begin to lose meaning. We begin to lose energy. We begin to lose that inspiration and that celebration. And so here, Jesus is asking them to take stocks. Wait a minute, are you trying to do something old that you don't even know why you do it anymore? You just know you've always done it that way. What new thing can you do? What new practices? What new ways of thinking? What possibilities do you need to make room for in your life right this minute? That energy that comes into our decision-making process when we're like, wait a minute, what's possible here? Wait a minute, maybe I need to take a different direction. Maybe I need to take a new path. Maybe I need to practice something different, something new, because it connects to God in a deeper, more meaningful way. And we stop doing things just because we've always done it that way for the sake of, well, if I stop doing it, then what would I do? And Jesus is like, no, 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 there's a new practice. There are new ways of doing that. There are new ways, constantly new and evolving ways to connect to God if we're willing to pay attention, if we're willing to look, if we're willing to make that space and allow for the possibility. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking about, as we're going through, as we're trying to, okay, Jesus, you were all about encouraging. You were responding to healing even when there was criticism, even when there was judgment, there's this sense of curiosity, a sense of celebration, a sense of possibility of something new giving us life. And so how will we be inspired by Jesus today? How will we be inspired but why, by how he is engaging and responding to those around him? Whether they are being the haters that continue to hate, just negative all over themselves and all over the rest of us. 
And how do we respond to the people who are like, wait a minute, I want to get a little curious. I want to be inspired. How do we get that? How do we shift our practices towards those things that are energizing and inspiring that give us new life? Because here's the thing. Jesus saves us from all kinds of things. But Jesus saves us from old patterns, old practices that have drained us of life and energy, that pushed aside energy, pushed aside our curiosity, made us feel like we could no longer be an encouragement or healer. Jesus saves us from those things and says, oh, no, you can today. Every single day you wake up, there is a choice because Jesus is with us. Those teachings are with us. The Spirit of God is guiding. If we're willing to notice, if we're willing to give space for some inspiration and energy, and so how might we today be encouraged by what Jesus says, be inspired to what am I going to do? How is my day going to start different? How am I going to go through it? How am I going to respond What new practices am I going to take up so that celebration becomes a part of our daily task instead of, eh, maybe when I've got time? How will we be inspired today by Jesus? Amen.